The following audio is from West Pines Community Church. For more information about West Pines, visit us at westpines.org. You can join us live Sunday mornings at 9, 10, 30, or 12 in Pembroke Pines, Florida, or online at westpines.org. And today we, uh, we start part three of that. If you have a Bible with you, go ahead and open up to Acts chapter 16. That's where we're going to spend uh, our time this morning a little bit. We'll hop around. Uh, quite a bit today, but Acts 16 is where we'll start. My name is Justin. I'm one of the pastors here at West Pines, uh, and uh, so honored to be able to spend some time with you studying the scripture, studying God's word together today. We are in a series called Family Goals. We're talking about some goals to set for our families in this new school year, and today we, uh, we start part three of that series. So I want to also say hello to those who are watching online right now, wherever you may be in the world, and those who are over in our pilot campus gathering. Uh, We love you wherever you are as a part of our West Pines Church family. We're grateful for you. And so uh, I want to start by sharing something that Amy and I did last year for our anniversary. Uh, We celebrated our anniversary by taking a quick weekend trip to the Rocky Mountains. Uh, Now, who here has been to the Rocky Mountains before? Anybody? So a few of you have been to the Rocky Mountains. Very good. Uh, it is perhaps my favorite place in the whole world. Uh, I've been there twice now. It is just breathtaking. Uh, and one of the things that we did while we were on our trip was we went horseback riding. And when we went horseback riding, we were in this very dry region. It was May. But if we looked over to the north and the west, you could see mountains that were covered in snow. Uh, and so we have all these different climates converging. It was absolutely breathtaking. And as we're there, we're being led on our horseback riding tour by this just cowboy of a man, okay? If you can just picture in your mind a cowboy and whatever pops in your mind, you just saw our tour guide, okay? Uh, He has this rich southern draw uh, and the kind of southern draw you you could definitely follow along. He's a sharp guy. He knows horses well. So he's leading us through these trails and he's also teaching us about horses, Now, I'm also realizing as he's going, he's really evaluating how I'm doing riding a horse. I'm not a professional. Uh, And I know that he said at the beginning, hey, if you're comfortable enough and things go well, towards the end of our tour, there's this nice open plain. We'll we'll open the horses up and we'll get going. We'll gallop and we'll move. And so the whole time I'm trying to prove to him that I am worthy of being able to gallop and be able to move. And so we're going and Amy, my wife, is looking at me, and I'm like all robotic and have no sense of ease, and the guy like shaking his head at me. He's like, lighten up, man. Calm down. And so he's, he's doing this looking at me, and we're talking through different aspects of horses. Like I learned that horses are prey animals, which makes them skittish and very easy to uh, make afraid and freak out. Uh, I learned that horses have interesting brains that make it complicated for how you train them. You have to train them a certain way repeatedly. Uh, for the right side and the left side of their brain to be able to line things up. I learned all sorts of things about horses. And if you think about it, horses have throughout history had a unique relationship with mankind. They are one of the animals uh, that has had the closest relationship with human beings in all sorts of parts of the world, in different cultures, in different time periods. Human beings have been engaging with horses, uh, training horses, using them for different purposes. And it's interesting Some scholars believe that what may be the oldest English proverb or English wise saying, one of the first proverbs in the English language to be used, uh, the horse is the subject of that proverb. In fact, I have it here for you. I want to read it to you. Here's from 1175. Here's the old English proverb. It says, 
Hua ist may that may that horse wetrin the himself nul drinken. So I'm sure everybody got it. Everybody knows what that means. Uh, here's it in 15, I believe 1575, 1546, way up. Here we go. A man may well bring a horse to the water, but he cannot make him drinky without, without he will. Uh, maybe now you're starting to catch on with where this is going. If you've heard this before, here's the, the phrase as we know it today. You can lead a horse to water, but you can't, you can't make him drink. And this old saying, this proverb, wisdom, that's captured in the English language, this saying is basically saying people do what they want. Uh, you can put them right in front of the choice you want them to make. You can walk them right up to the water and just say, hey, this is for you, you need this, but at the end of the day, they have to make the decision to take a drink. Now, what we're gonna do here in the next few moments as we continue our Family Goals series is we're gonna talk about how this dynamic plays out spiritually. There's some spiritual dynamics at work, especially when it comes to parenting, being a grandparent, raising up the next generation, where you can lead your children into certain places. In fact, as parents and grandparents, we are called by God to lead them into certain environments, to place them in certain situations, and to place them in places of security. We are called by God to do those things. But at the end of the day, we don't have power as parents to change their heart. We don't have the power ourselves to make them believe or make them do something like that. Our calling as parents is to lead them to these places. And so here's what we're going to do. We're going to look in Acts 16 in a moment. And we're going to kind of journey through some of the details of the life of a man named Timothy. Timothy was one of the most significant leaders of the church in the New Testament. Timothy is a significant uh, pastor. He was a leader who raised up other pastors. And Timothy was notoriously an, ex uh, uh, an excellent leader at a young age. And what's interesting is in Acts 16, we're introduced to Timothy and we're given these details about his upbringing. We're given certain details about his life. And so here's what we're gonna do. We're gonna see from Timothy's life, recorded in scripture, that there are three key relational environments there are three environments that serve as water for the soul. That if we're raising up this generation, it is on us. It is on the older generations to invest in our children, in our young people, to lead them to these places, trusting that in these environments, the Holy Spirit, that God himself will work in their hearts, will help them to see how Jesus is the living water that truly satisfies, that if they drink of what Jesus has to offer. They will never thirst again. So with that in mind, I wanna look at Acts 16 and then we'll get into these three key relational environments that we're called to lead our children into. Here's the first. Uh, let's look at Acts 16, verses one and two. It says this. Paul came also to Derbe and to Lystra. A disciple was there named Timothy, the son of a Jewish woman who was a believer, but his father was a Greek. He was well spoken of by the brothers at Lystra and Iconium. So we start here in Acts 16, and we're given some interesting details about this guy named Timothy. Uh, first, uh, the first name you came across there is the name Paul. At this particular juncture in the book of Acts, the author, Luke, is following the ministry of this gentleman named Paul. Paul formerly was a persecutor of Christians. Paul hated Christians, imprisoned them, wanted nothing to do with Jesus, and then Jesus changed his life. And Paul started following Jesus, and then God said, hey, Paul, I want you to be the one who leads my movement. 
And so Paul starts going from city to city, planting churches, starting new churches in places that had never heard of what Jesus has done. And he gets to this place called Lystra, and he's introduced to a young man named Timothy. Uh, We find out in Acts 15, an opening opened up on Paul's squad. Paul needed a protege. He found Timothy. He takes Timothy along with him on various missionary journeys. Now, the details we find out about Timothy are that his mom was Jewish and a follower of Jesus. She was raised Jewish, but she believed in Jesus as the Messiah, the Son of God, and she was a believer. But the detail we're given about Timothy's dad is that he was Greek. This is given in contrast to his mom and the way that it's written. So we're led to believe that his dad was likely Greek, which means his worldview was paganistic. Uh, He had a pagan understanding of philosophy, worldview, religion. And so you have a spiritually divided home. Mom loves Jesus, follows Jesus. Dad is a Greek pagan, believes in multiple gods offers sacrifices, worships his gods in very different ways than mom does. And Timothy grows up in the middle of that mess. And he's brought up in this place. And then we're also given the detail in, in verse two of Acts 16, that Timothy was known by followers of Jesus in both Lystra, his hometown, and Iconium, the neighboring town. So the brothers, or the way they're described in Acts 16, the brothers, the followers of Jesus, older men, knew Timothy. And they attested to his faith and they recommended Timothy to Paul. Said, Paul, you should take Timothy with him. They said he's a man, a young man of faith. Okay, look with me now at 2 Timothy 1, 3 through 5. We're going to get some more details about Timothy's life. This is Paul writing to Timothy many years later after they've gone on all these journeys. By this time, Timothy has started churches himself. Timothy has led what is probably one of the largest churches in the Roman Empire in Ephesus. He's raised up more leaders. So Timothy's an outstanding leader in his own right at this point. But listen to what Paul says. 2 Timothy 1 verse 3. I thank God whom I serve, as did my ancestors with a clear conscience, as I remember you constantly in my prayers night and day. As I remember your tears, I long to see you, that I might be filled with joy. I am reminded of your sincere faith, a faith that first dwelt in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and now I am sure dwells in you as well. We find out in these few verses that Paul has this tremendous gratitude in his heart for Timothy. And he says the thing that makes him just burst with thanks as he prays to God about Timothy is the genuine, authentic faith that Timothy has. And he says, he traces this authentic faith, he traces it back through his family tree. He says, it's a faith that first dwelt in your grandmother Lois and then was passed down to your mother Eunice. And now he is sure and confident this genuine, authentic faith lives in him. Uh, I don't know if you've ever uh, done the exercise of learning a little bit about your own family's spiritual heritage of how Christianity was introduced into your family. My paternal grandfather often tells the story of a time when he was a young boy and his abuela, so this would be my great-great-grandmother, was living in a town just outside of Santiago in Cuba, and there were some missionaries who came and knocked on my great-great-grandmother's door. They knocked on her door, and they shared Jesus right there in her home. And this was the introduction of Christianity into my family. 
my great-great-grandmother, so my abuelos, abuela, she puts her faith in Jesus. And this church, La Primera Iglesia Bautista de Santiago, First Baptist Church of Santiago in Cuba, they start a little house church in my grandfather's grandmother's house. And they start this there. And then my great-abuela, my great-grandmother, she starts following Jesus and starts raising her children to follow Jesus as well. And so my grandfather is a third-generation Christian on that side of the family. I'm a fifth-generation Christian on that side of the family. But this exercise of tracing back who in your family was first introduced to Jesus? Who in your family was the first one that heard the good news and changed the trajectory of their family tree as God worked through them? Paul here, he recounts Timothy. He says, Timothy, this genuine faith you have, it's something God first initiated in your grandmother, then your mother, and now I'm sure dwells in you. So here's what we're gonna do. We're gonna look at these few details we have and examine three relational environments for us to be pointing our children and grandchildren to, connecting our children to these places, bringing them to the water, trusting that God is gonna work and they will experience his grace in those places. Because if we look at Timothy's life, what he would go on and do, Timothy's resume is quite impressive. He co-authored five books of the New Testament. He went along with Paul to start churches all over the Roman Empire, he was a pastor of one of the largest churches in the Roman Empire. I mean, his resume is quite impressive. And it started in his childhood where God worked through very simple, not complicated, basic and seemingly obvious ways in his life to form him. And so let's look at these three key environments. Here's the first one. Write this down if you're taking notes. The first environment we need to be attentive to is family. Family, this is obvious but so key and there's something we often get wrong. So family, uh, what do I mean by family? I mean blood relatives. God has designed family to uniquely have influence in the life of the next generation. That God has put parents and grandparents and family members in the lives of children to have a unique influence that no other person can have in that person's life. You have a unique opportunity as family members. Now here's the myth that we believe when it comes to family. Sometimes we believe well, my family has to be close to perfect in order for my kids to stand a chance of having a genuine faith. In this world, if my kids are gonna stand a chance, then, I mean, my family has to be perfect. I've gotta have that home where mom and dad love Jesus, love each other perfectly, everything is great, white picket fence, everything else is great. They've got a puppy that's cute and is potty trained as soon as he gets home from the kennel. Like, everything is great, right? And we have this view of what's required for our children. And sometimes in places where and in families where only mom loves Jesus or only dad loves Jesus and the other spouse is far from God, in fact, is teaching something quite differently to our children. Or maybe grandparents in homes where you see your children raising your grandchildren without the influence of faith apart from God's word and his ways, it can be discouraging and it could feel hopeless. That's why I love Timothy's story. Timothy comes from a messy family. You've got dad, the Greek pagan, going through his worship of multiple gods, offering sacrifices and worshiping his gods in ways that would make you feel uncomfortable if we describe what took place. You've got mom over here who was raised Jewish then started following Jesus and is trying to influence her son in that way. 
I mean, this is a messy, spiritually divided home. We know later on in Acts, we find out that Timothy was not circumcised according to religious, the religious custom of the Jews. Even though he was entitled to with a mother who was Jewish, he was not. And so there's this spiritual tug of war happening in Timothy's home. Mom is trying to help him know Jesus. Dad is out here, who knows doing what, telling him about all these different gods living very differently. And Paul writes to him and says to him, I want to just thank God for the genuine faith that first dwelt in your grandmother, then your mother, and now dwells in you. And so I just want to, for a moment, just want to encourage and honor the spouses that feel alone, the spouses that are a part of our church who you're alone in spiritually raising your children. I just want to say, don't lose heart. God can use you. Don't, don't give up. Don't believe the lie that God can't use you because the situation isn't perfect. Trust that God will and can work. Grandparents in this room, I love, there's so many grandparents. I see them all the time taking their kids into kids ministry, taking their grandkids into student ministry. Grandparents who are taking up their calling to invest in the spiritual life of their grandchildren. Can I just remind you and encourage you, your work is not in vain. God can use you not to lose heart or give up. Think about the honor that Lois and Eunice have been given. That years, thousands of years after this has been written, we are still reading their names as the heritage that God used to bring about Timothy. This had to have been conversation for Timothy and Paul as they went out throughout their journeys. Paul and Timothy had a lot of time to talk. They went from place to place. They had long journeys. They went through difficult circumstances. And Paul is so imprinted with the influence that Eunice and Lois had, this grandmother and mother had on Timothy, that he can't help but thank God. He writes to him and he mentions their names. So don't lose heart. Family dynamics can be messy, but God has placed you in that mess to be a missionary. He has equipped you. He has sent you there. Don't lose heart. See your family environment. Some of you, you have have that husband-wife relationship. You have a healthy home. That's a beautiful gift. May God's word and his ways be the primary influence in the lives of our children in the context of family. Here's the second relationship, the key relationship that we have to look at from Timothy's life. The second is church. Church. Now, what do I mean by church? Uh, Church, I don't mean... Uh, the myth that sometimes we buy into, well, I take my children to church. Check, right? I take my children to church. Now, that's wonderful, and please continue to do that. It's a wonderful thing to prioritize attending church and bringing your children to church, but that does not mean your job is done. Look at how Timothy was described in Acts 16:2. It says that he was well-known and his faith was attested to by the brothers in Lystra and Iconium. In other words, there were men who knew Timothy well enough in two different cities and knew about his faith enough to be able to speak and attest for the condition of his faith. They, Paul comes in, he's here in Lystra, and there are people who are saying, hey, you've got you've to see this young man named Timothy. We've seen God work in him. We see the genuineness of his faith. He would be someone great to go along with you. So the question we have to wrestle with as parents, as grandparents, have we moved beyond church attendance to helping our children, helping our grandchildren 
be known by people in the community of faith? Can people say of your children, oh, I, I know his faith. I see God at work in him. Or, hey, this is an area where he could grow in. I could see so much potential here. Have we led our children to a place where they're not just a, someone sitting in a chair, but they are being known, that they are being fed? Now, part of this, I'll, I'll admit, part of this is cultural. Uh, in that particular time period, the culture was a lot more open. Uh, we tend to be very closed off. Uh, we tend to be like, get out of my life, you know, whatever, I'm doing my own thing. If you ever ride public transportation, everybody's got headphones in and is looking at their phone. No one talks to anyone. Uh, I, I was taking an Uber ride recently and speaking to my uh, Uber driver, and we were having a conversation. He was a young man from Haiti, and I was asking him, what do you miss most about home? And uh, he tells me, you know, honestly, what I miss most about home is being able to go to my neighbor's house anytime I want, drink coffee, hang out, eat their food, and then they'd probably come over later and eat my food. And that's just the relational dynamics that he was used to in his particular town. Now, if you think about Pembroke Pines or whatever city you're in, Sunrise, Miami Lakes, like if you think about your, imagine just people just coming in and out, in and out. Oh, cafecito, there you go, right? Some of that, maybe that happens. But anyways, people coming in, part of this is cultural. Our culture is different. But this, this dynamic of people in the neighboring town being able to say, hey, this young man, Timothy, his faith is incredible. It's genuine. This is theological. You see, Jesus has made us family. We share a different kind of blood relativity. That because of what Jesus has done on the cross, we are made family. He has brought us together and is assembling a family from every nation, tribe, and tongue. This is who he's making us to be together, this family. And so we have to, as leaders of this next generation, to lead them not just to church attendance, but to be the church to live in community and relationship with other followers of Jesus. This is how we've organized our, all of our next generation ministries, our kids ministry, student ministry, young adult ministry. We've organized them in a way where students, young people can be known and get to know others to where they can have the kind of relationships with those who are older than them, have the kind of relationships with those who are their peers, where there are people investing in their faith and there are those who are walking side by side with them, encouraging them to continue to follow Christ. And so if you've got a middle schooler, Sundays at 12 o'clock in our student space right across the parking lot, every single week, that's what we do. We connect them to Jesus, we connect them to relationship. On Wednesday nights at seven o'clock, we have our high school group that meets across the street in our student space. That space is designed, that ministry environment is designed to foster that so that someone can invest in the faith of your student, so that they could have peers who help encourage them in their faith. Monday nights at 7 p.m. over across the street in our student space, we have our young adult group that meets. 18 to 20-somethings who gather together, and it's the kind of environment that allows and breathes that kind of relationship into our lives. We need that. Here's Paul taking Timothy with him on this journey because someone attested, someone knew Timothy's faith. Here's the third key relationship. The third key relationship is ministry. Ministry. What do I mean by that? I mean joining God on his mission of redemption in the world. That means our children need to experience ministry, experience inspiring faith, hope, and love in the life of others. The myth we believe about this is that, well, 
adults are the ones, grown-ups are the ones that do the ministry for the kids. Now, to an extent, that's correct. God has called us to do ministry for children. But he's also called us to do ministry with them. And if your student has the Holy Spirit living inside them, if your student is a follower of Jesus, your child is a follower of Jesus, and that Holy Spirit intends to inspire them and empower them to do God's work. And so I love, I love when I see students and young people and children using their God-given gifts to do ministry. I love when I see families that do ministry together and see that as a family matter. Just this past week, with the chaos of the hurricane, we, we were just, I think everyone, just emotionally overwhelmed and crushed by the destruction and devastation of the Bahamas. Uh, we sent out an email this past week to our, to our church. We sent it out about a way that you can help that uh, will make an incredible impact uh, here in South Florida. A lot of local churches here in South Florida have kind of banded together to financially support a ministry that's on the ground already there, bringing care. Uh, and so one of the ways you can include your children in that is maybe your six-year-old has a piggy bank, and you say, hey, hey, sweetie, um, hey, we just found out that this storm, the, there's a lot of people who are hurting, and we have a way of helping. Um, let's open up your piggy bank and see how much we can give. Let's pray and ask God how much we can help those people in the Bahamas. How can we include our children in the everyday life opportunities of ministry? I love seeing, if you walk over into our kids' space, I love seeing when moms and their daughters are serving together. You might walk in and you'll see a middle school girl and her mom teaching in a classroom together. I love when I see some young, young kids who are over there, middle schoolers, high schoolers, who are in our kids' ministry serving, investing in the faith of others. Some who lead in worship, help serve on the band, young men and women who have been gifted by God, middle schoolers, high schoolers, who help others. God has gifted them and has given his spirit in them to do the work of ministry. Timothy, here in this story, is taken up by Paul and he goes on these journeys with Paul. And when you read through his writings, their correspondence, when Paul writes to Timothy, you can tell that Timothy's age was often, often maybe an insecurity in his life. When you read their interaction, Paul says to Timothy things like, hey, Timothy, don't let anybody look down on you because you're young. Set an example to the believers. Don't, look, don't let anybody look down at you because of your youth. But set an example, Timothy. And so Timothy, from this young age, isn't just someone who is put in a classroom and told, hey, listen to what we have to say. He is put in a classroom, but he's also said, hey, I want you to join with me as we go and we tell others about Jesus. There's so many ways that you can do this. There's opportunities through foster care and family advocacy ministry here at West Pines. There's so many ways that you can be involved in including your children in ministry. Joining a serving team, there's, there's a couple of parents who greet on Sundays with their kids, who help pass out bulletins to them, teaching them what it looks like to serve others, to demonstrate the hospitality of Jesus. So many ways to include them in ministry. Such a key environment for them to grow in. So these are the three areas uh, we talked about, family, church, and ministry, including them in these environments that really serve as water for their souls. Now, throughout this series, we've been talking about some sensitive and difficult areas where our calling as the older generation that is responsible for raising this younger generation, where our calling matters most. There are some sensitive areas that are hard to talk about. 
that are uncomfortable to talk about, uh, that in some ways are awkward to talk about. And that is precisely where God has called us to, to have these difficult conversations, to be a voice for God's word and his ways in these areas. And so uh, what I want to do is talk a little bit about one such area and apply this principle of having a family dynamic where God's word and his ways are being revealed and taught, having a church family environment, a church environment where there are people speaking into and influencing the lives of this next generation. And as they do the work of ministry as well, here's the area I want to talk about in terms of how we can invest in their faith, the area of sex, the area of sexuality. It's hard. It's a challenge to speak about this topic. It's not fun for parents. It's not fun to bring it up. But what I want to do is I want to talk about how can we engage and have this conversation in such a sensitive area, a difficult area that doesn't come naturally to us to talk about. Because this is an area that the enemy has a foothold over our young people. It's an area that the enemy has sought to steal for himself, for his purposes, when it is a gift from God that he has given to us. And so uh, we just, I want us to look at 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 12 through 15. It's interesting. It's interesting how Timothy, he's reading this letter, and then Paul gets to this section that speaks so well into a difficult topic like this. Look at what he says in verses 12 through 15. Here's what Paul says. It says this. Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted, while evil people and impostors will go on from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. But as for you, continue in what you've learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it, and how from childhood, that word childhood is a word for infancy, from the time you were a baby, you have been acquainted with the sacred writings, with the scripture, the Bible, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. So he tells Timothy, Timothy, there are imposters and deceivers out there that our world is full of lies. And so continue in what you've been taught since you were a baby. Continue in the scriptures. Continue in God's word that Lois and Eunice taught you over and over and over again. And if there's an area where the deceit of the enemy and where, where imposters have cause lies to be perceived as truth in the lives of our children. It's the area of sex. And so this past week, uh, we had Angelica Barros, our kids director, who leads our kids ministry here at West Pines, sit down with a local principal who's a member of West Pines. Uh, she's one of our West Pines church family members, and she serves as a principal in this school. And they sat down and had a conversation about what this dialogue looks like in our, system, our school system what the conversation about human sexuality and sex, biology, what that looks like and how it plays out from K through 12 as they teach through a curriculum that's public domain and at your access online. They sat down and had a conversation about that. I want you to check this out. Sure, I am a mom of two boys, 10 and five years old. I'm also a wife to an amazing husband, Chris, and um, I've been in education for 15 years and I've been a principal for the past four years. One of the most sensitive topics and even confusing topics for children and teens is <coughs> sex education. Now being an educator in our public school system and knowing the curriculum that's being taught, what advice would you give other Christian parents on how to approach sexual education in our schools? 
So the human life and sexuality lessons um, begin with the back to school forms that parents just received. So parents can either opt in or opt out to that. Um, one of the important things for parents to note is that the curriculum is available online for them to look through specifically by grade level for their child. Um, and if a parent feels that they didn't make the right choice on the back to school forms, they can always change their mind. Go into their child's school, into the front office and ask them for a paper copy so that they can amend the answer that they originally submitted. Very good. Now, um, is there any way for parents to know when this material is going to be taught? One of my best advice to give to parents would be for the parents to contact their teacher and ask their teacher specifically when the lessons will be taught so that they can keep in close communication with the teacher and have the conversations with their child at home. Oh, okay. So do you have any suggestions for parents who opt in or opt out of the class? So if a parent opts out of the lessons um, and they don't speak to their child, then um, their child may hear conversations at school regarding the topics that are being discussed in the lessons. Um, so one of the things parents can do is opt their child out of the lessons, but have the conversations at home with a Christian compass on each of the lessons. Um, and if a parent opts into the lessons, um, the parents also have the same option. They can talk to their children before they actually hear the lesson in class, or they can also talk to them after they hear the lesson in class. So what are some of the things in the curriculum that you think Christian parents should be aware of? One detail I think parents oftentimes don't realize is that both genders are present during all lessons. So um, a girl will be present to hear about the changes that a boy's body goes through during puberty and boys will be present to hear about the girl's changes during puberty as well. Um, another important topic that's discussed beginning in kindergarten is a family structure. So a family unit is defined in each lesson from kindergarten through fifth grade. Um, and another topic that also begins in kindergarten is sexual abuse. Okay. And um, you said all of this information is available online. Absolutely. There is a scope and sequence. There is videos to help parents talk to children about specific topics within the lessons. And the exact lessons that teachers will use are online. So I want to point that link to you all, westpines.org slash family goals. We've posted all the resources that we uh, have shared throughout this series on there, as well as the link to the Broward County Public School curriculum page that has the K through 12 curriculum. It shows by grade how things break down, what, what's being taught. And I want you to notice two things from that conversation that just took place that we got to see. Uh, first, I just love how God has placed people from our church all throughout our city and community in places of influence who operating under and honoring the rules and regulations of their work to be excellent workers are representatives of the kingdom of God. And there are many of you in this room who tomorrow will go into your field, your industry, and you are God's representative there. And you are an ambassador for Christ there, an agent of mercy and justice and grace. Uh, but the second thing I want you to notice from that video is her, her wisdom for parents that she offered. You have the authority to opt in or opt out of the curriculum that's being taught. I love how she said, here's your best way to move forward. If you opt into the content, have the conversation at home before and after. Talk to your kids about what to expect and then afterwards debrief with them. 
help point them and help them understand what we believe and why we look to God's word and how God's ways are good and his ways are best. If you opt them out of the curriculum, then you still have the conversation at home. You talk to them about what's being covered because when they go back to school, their, their friends will probably be talking about it. And you point them to what God's word and his ways say about those particular areas. Here's the one option that's not on the table for us as parents, to ignore the topic altogether. It is a difficult and awkward and hard conversation to have. But here's the truth. Our world is not uncomfortable having this conversation with your kids. Our world is perfectly comfortable with talking to your kids and forming their view of sex. In fact, our world is already doing that, more so than we would probably want. And so if we're afraid, if we're scared of the awkwardness, we don't know what to say, well, then that's on us to, to resource ourselves, to learn and to grow. That's part of why we're here as a church, to partner with parents, to raise up their children. But we have to be the ones who are willing to get into these hard places, these difficult conversations to discuss and point them to the one who saves, to Jesus. And so here are two goals for you this week, two family goals for you to set out. Number one, I wanna give you the first one. The first one is to set a goal for this school year for how those three relational environments are gonna play out. Those three relational environments, church, uh, uh, family, church, and ministry. How are you gonna engage your kids with God's word in the context of your family? How are you gonna connect them to the life of the church? And how are you gonna connect them in ways that they can serve in ministry? How are they gonna join you in inviting others to church, being a part of your family mission together? And then second, here's the second goal that I want you to write down. Set a goal for how you're gonna teach your children about God's view of sex. Make a plan and then execute the plan. How are you gonna talk to them about these things? Students in this room, I know you, I love you. Listen, I know it's awkward for you as well, but no mom and dad care. They care. Grandma, grandpa, they care. And here's the deal. You don't know everything. Neither do we. But we look to the one who knows all things, who is omniscient, and we trust in our creator over what our current trends are in 2019 say about sex. And so I just wanna encourage you, set these goals, have those conversations. So here are a couple more resources for you to consider. These are also on that link we just talked about. Couple resources. Number one, Focus on the Family has some curriculum and some resources. If you go to focusonthefamily.com, they've got resources for how you can teach your kids about these topics. Another great resource is called Orange. If you go to thinkorange.com, uh, Orange is this ministry that has a blog for parents. It has a book resource. It has um, this curriculum that's great. I would recommend you looking at it. One for uh, elementary age and one that's appropriate for middle and high school students called Made. It's a, a month-long curriculum about sex, about God's views of sex, his design for sex. So I'd encourage you to look at that. Uh, also, Parenting on Purpose is a great podcast that's shared from Sheridan House Family Ministries. They talk about these difficult, uh, these difficult topics and how to lead your children in that way. But there's just a number of resources. We have to become experts in this area. We have to learn. We have to read up, grow, connect with each other, and help each other to grow in this area. So here's just a few talking points and talking to your, ch your children about this topic. A couple topic talking points. Number one, make clear that when you talk to them about it, sex is not this bad word that's gross. Because what that then does, if all we've communicated is that it's this nasty word that's gross, then our children are gonna have a warped view of it and feel like they can't talk to you about it. 
because it's gross, that's taboo. I can't talk to mom and dad about that. We need to be teaching our children that sex is a gift from God that he gave to marriage where a husband and a wife can share that in loving relationship with each other. That's protected in that relationship, that's confined and secure. God gave that for that relationship. They need to know that. They need to know that God has made their bodies wonderfully. Our kids need to know that God made them the way they are. He made them in his image, that they have value, that he made, he made their bodies the way that they are, that they are wonderfully and fearfully made. We need to teach our kids that choosing purity today is paving the way to intimacy in their future marriage. We need to teach them and let them know with every decision that they make to choose purity right now in their teenage years, with every decision they choose that they choose purity in their college years, they are demonstrating love to their future spouse. They maybe have never met their future spouse. They probably haven't yet. But with every decision that they choose to honor God with their sexuality, every decision they choose to be pure, they are demonstrating a unique form of love to the one that they will say, I do too. Teaching them that purity paves the way to intimacy. We need to be teaching them that there are temptations that are going to come for them. We need to prepare our kids, let them know as each stage happens, it's natural for a new school year for us to be able to have a new conversation about the unique temptations that come at this stage of development. There are temptations middle schoolers will face that they didn't face in elementary. Temptations high schoolers will face they didn't face in middle. Temptations that college students will face and so on and so on. We need to be having those conversations, preparing them, letting them know what to expect, talking to them about the nature of the world we live in. And then finally, we need to prepare ourselves. Parents, we need to prepare ourselves for the moment, if it comes and when it comes. When we find out that our children messed up, we need to prepare ourselves for the moment when maybe they admit to us that they messed up. And you as a parent need to decide beforehand and prepare yourself to not be a voice of shame that says, how could you? But instead in that moment, point your child's eyes up to Jesus the Savior who has washed them clean, who invites them in, who loves them in spite of their failures, who knows the real them, has forgiven them, has redeemed them. Point them to Jesus who can change their hearts and can strengthen them to, from this day forward, choose to honor him with their sexuality, who is able to empower them to overcome temptation, that though they messed up, that does not define them. That does not write them off, that God loves them and desires them to trust in him in that area of your life. Decide now, prepare yourself. We need to have the kind of relationship with our kids where they know, even when they mess up, they know mom and dad will love them that mom and dad will cry with them, that mom and dad will always be there for them. So we need to prepare ourselves for that moment. And so here's how I wanna close. I wanna close by addressing those who may be in this room, you failed in this area. Uh, maybe even right now in your life currently, you're not honoring God in your sexuality. You're not honoring God with this area of your life that God has invited you to trust him with. And in some way, you've diverged from his path and his design. I want you to know that God's posture towards you is not one of get away from me, I want nothing to do with you. His posture towards you is one of invitation. He comes to you and he invites you, he says, come to me, trust me. I, 
love you. I've forgiven you. There's grace and mercy. He wants to help you overcome that. That does not define you in your life. I want to invite you to come to Jesus who died on the cross to take away the penalty for our sins, who like we sang a little while ago, who has washed us by his blood, who has made us white as snow. Your Savior loves you. He has died for you and he rose from the grave for you to give you new life. You can turn to him and trust in him. I wanna invite you, if you've never put your trust in Jesus, to do that right now. Let's bow our heads, close our eyes, and we'll close. If that's you, and you need to put your trust in Jesus as your savior, you've never asked him for his forgiveness, you've never asked him uh, to come into your life, make you new, restore you to a relationship with God, then right there where you are, I wanna invite you to just say something like this to God in your heart. Just say, God, I need you. Jesus, thank you for dying for me. I believe you paid to wash away my sins on the cross. I believe you rose again from the dead. I turn from my sin and I turn to you, Jesus. Help me to follow you with my life. Now, Lord, I pray for the rest of us, for parents in this room, grandparents in this room. Thank you that your word causes us to take heart and have hope. Lord, I thank you for the parents in this room who, whether together with their spouse or not, whether they feel alone or not, whether they're grandparents, Lord, I thank you that you are using the men and women in this place, in this church, to reach this next generation, to lead them to the waters that well up into eternal life. Lord, may we be a people who invest in this next generation. Give us courage to have these hard conversations. Lord, may we not lose heart. May we not give up. And we say that as for us, as for our house, we will serve you. Help it to be so in the lives of our children. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thank you for listening. For more resources and to check out other teaching series, please visit our website at westpines.org. If you would like to speak to somebody about beginning a relationship with Jesus or ask any questions you have about this teaching, please call at 954-432-0321 or you can email us at podcast at westpines.org.